You may be seated. Well, I haven't got to preach since uh, I got back from Kenya. Dwayne got to share some Kenya stories, so I thought I'd share one. This is a video I made for my prayer team. Uh, I think you really appreciate it. Um, and uh, uh, so let's, let's just roll that real quick. So I have to say every day they leave uh, this uh, piece of chocolate on our bed. And uh, so when you come back after a hard day, you have a wonderful piece of chocolate to eat. I haven't eaten any of them because I'm trying to be good. And I've been putting them on my desk. And so this morning I was working at my desk preparing my message and I decided to eat one. And uh, I opened it and I'm like, oh, wow, cool. It's white chocolate. And then I took a bite of it <laughs> and it's a bar of soap. Um, so I just ate a big chunk of soap. It was gross. Um, I spit it out. I gagged for a while. Uh, but all is well now. And uh, yeah, don't eat bars of soap. And actually it does say soap on it. I just didn't even read it. I just assumed it was chocolate the whole time. So thank you everyone for praying for me. Obviously I need it. So I have so thank you for praying for me. Uh, that was a gross experience, actually. Um, it actually brought back days of my mom and her discipline, so it was quite traumatic. No, I'm just kidding. My mom's sweet, but um, she's a sweet lady. But boy, she can really hurt you if she needs to. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> I thought I'd start with that because uh, the subject matter that we're going to tackle today is, is a heavy subject matter, and I think they warned you. It's a little PG-13. I'm not going to dive too deep into this, but this is real. Um, and I, my hope, uh, we're talking about, the title of my message is Unwinding Reality, Unbinding Morality. And, and that might be, a, you might look at that and go, what um, is wrong with him? Remember, I ate a bar of soap. Um, but I'm going to explain what that means. And I think at the end of this, you're going to get it. You're going to be like, oh, I see what he's saying. If you unwind reality, it does unbind morality. We're going to talk about that. I, that's my objective is to really get into this. Um, but let me just explain how we roll at Eastridge. Two weeks ago, I was uh, sitting happily at my office uh, doing my uh, full-time ministry gig at the Navigators. I get a text from Dwayne saying, hey, I got I to gotta go out of town in two weeks. Can you preach? And I'm like, sure, you know, helping out a brother. He goes, here's your, your, your subject. And the subject was technology and sex. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And, um, um, and we, um, so about two weeks ago, I started uh, diving into this. I had read Love Thy Body when it first came out, and so I had to redig it up and uh, kind of reread the relevant chapters. And as I was reading it, I began to remember other things I had read, and I began, I got into this whole thing. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about pornography. We're going to be talking about the subject matters that we don't like to talk about in the church. But I want to deliver, this is what I want you to think about. And, and I'm going to say something bold, and I'm going I'm to say it right now, and then I'm going to unpack it as we move. Um, but I want you to think about it, and, and I say this, and I believe it is true. And that is, I believe that in the Christian world, we've gotten off task a little bit because what has happened is we've developed these specialized ministries. So what happens is they see a group of men who get addicted to pornography and they launch a full ministry and program to help men deal with pornography. We actually have many of those in the U.S. now. And I would argue that it's probably not doing a lot. 
And my thesis is this, is that this unpackaging, this specialization in ministry hasn't actually been helpful to the movement. And there's a reason why, and I'm going to get into that. That's the whole reason for my message. But first of all, I want to delve into what's going on, and I want to present some kind of some hardcore stuff to you. Those of you uh, who, uh, who, who this isn't your issue, or maybe you don't have kids, uh, young teenage kids, you don't have to deal with this. This may be a little bit of a shock to you. Some of this stuff was shocking to me. Um, and uh, in, in, um, so I just uh, want to lay that groundwork where I'm going. My ultimate hope is that when you look at unwinding reality, unbinding morality, you're going to get what I'm saying, and hopefully that resonates with you. So we're going to talk about a tough subject. I'm not going too deep, but I am going to talk about some, some stuff. But let's start off with our passage, Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at Luke and Matthew. They basically say similar things, but, I, but uh, here's the passage. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when the lamp shines its light on you. And then Matthew says it a little more succinctly, the same parable or the same message from uh, uh, Jesus. The eye is the lamp of the body. Your eyes are healthy. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? At the end of Matthew, what he's basically saying is, when you're in darkness, you don't realize how bad it really is. And this is our culture. This is, this is where our culture is today in America. There is no doubt. Uh, I'm not even going to get into it because it's kind of, I, I think it loses focus of what the solution is. But if you look at what pornography and, and those types of things have done to our culture, it is ravaging our culture all over. It's hit Europe, it's hit America, it's in the U.S. now hitting us directly. It is taking men and women down left and right. We live in a culture, in fact, um, one stat I was reading, I, I saw it in multiple stats, but it's the number one most searched out thing on the internet now, pornography. This is our culture. And originally when I was writing my message, I was going to get into the whole history of how we got here and talk about Larry Flint and all kinds of other people that I think have done evil. Um, but I'm, I don't want to do that. I want to get right to the core of the problem, and then I want to help present some solutions that I think may help some of you in here find some freedom, at least give you guidance in the culture that we're dealing with today. But you look at these passages, and they state kind of an obvious fact that we oftentimes lose sight of, and that is what we look at, what we focus on with our eyes, determines what's going on in our heart. And if you look at darkness, if you're in darkness, then your insides are full of darkness. And if you look at the light, the truth, then your, your heart is full of light. In fact, it's interesting, another passage we'll talk about just briefly. I, I, I forgot to mention the other service, so I want to make sure I cover it. But in John 1, it tells us that where light hits, darkness can't even exist. Light is always more powerful than darkness. It's this crazy concept. But when you look at these parables and Jesus uses, in fact, if you look at light and darkness all the way throughout the scripture, it's, it's used a lot. And my hope today is that you just begin to understand how valuable, how amazing that truth is. 
as we look at this deep, dark, ugly place in pornography, especially in the way technology can deliver it today. Nancy Piercy talks about it in her book, to, uh, I, sorry, Total Truth, uh, Love Thy Body. And, um, and I want to just highlight what, uh, what she points out, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time kind of unpacking this, and I want to tie it a little bit more to some other stuff. But here's what Nancy Piercy says. From childhood, young people are awash in sexual imagery, but sexual intimacy is increasingly difficult to achieve. Even secular researchers are growing alarmed about porn's harmful consequences. Porn is a public health crisis, blared the Washington Post article. The science is now beyond dispute. For example, in a content analysis of best-selling and most rented porn films, researchers found that 88% of analyzed scenes contain physical aggression. Most of the victims were women. As a result, those who watched the mainstream pornography were more likely to say they would commit rape or sexual assault if they knew they wouldn't be caught. Today, the average age that a boy first encounters pornography is nine years old. By the time he is an adult, he has been consuming porn for more than a decade. How does this affect uh, how does that affect his relationships with real, real women? Time Magazine reports many of them are simply unable to experience sexual response with a real live woman. They are only able to respond to pornography. In fact, they prefer pornography. In other words, they prefer not going to the trouble of dealing with a real person. This is the reality confronting us. In fact, this week, it confronted me in a real way. As I was doing the research, I thought, you know, I better, like, do some research on my own network. I, really, I have five boys in my home. And when I saw the nine years old, I've got three boys that are older than that and one about to be nine. And I looked, and although they weren't getting into the real, you know, the, the, the hard stuff, I, could, I saw some trend lines where I'm like, whoa, that's not a good one. And so I had to sit them down, and I talked to them. And I said, guys, you fall into this trap. It's something you can't get out of. In fact, the next, I I quoted Proverbs 7. This is a great passage. I love this passage. It helped me years ago. I heard Randy Alcorn use this passage when he was talking about this very same subject in the early 2000s. And I went to my accountability group and said, we gotta, we've got to know this passage. It's so good. And this is what it says. All at once, it's talking about a prostitute and how he sedu she seduces a man. And listen to what the passage says. And I think this is so true. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into the noose till the arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn, her ways or, turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading to the chambers of death. This is what technology is allowing into our homes almost unfiltered. And I have, I, in my full-time position, I get to work with first responders around the country. And I can tell you right now, this is a massive struggle of firefighters and police officers all over the country we deal with this on a weekly basis. Even your 40-year-old heroes are being trapped and led to the slaughter. This is the world we're in. 
And if we as Christians want to hide from it and not deal with this directly, there is going to be a world of devastation coming to a, a home near you. But I don't want you to sit here and go, oh my word, this is crazy. And most of you know this. I don't think this is new to a lot of you in here. I think a lot of you know this is here. I think many people in here may even be struggling with some of this stuff. But I want to tell you there's hope and I'm going to get to it. Just, just hang in there. But let's dive in a little bit further. Let's go back to the title, Unwinding Reality. And here's what I mean by unwinding reality. Unwinding reality, this is the statement. This is a simple statement. Unwinding reality means that all of reality is connected. Everything is connected. Psychology, philosophy, science, medicine, politics, it's all connected. Everything is either a truth, it is either true, or it is a lie. There is no in-between. And one of the things our culture has done is it has begun to unwind reality. I teach philosophy to high schoolers, and we're oftentimes surprised to know that our famous mathematicians and, and, uh, and even physicians and scientists of the time were actually philosophers too. In fact, a lot of the great inventors of our time were also philosophers. Because back in those days, and I would, I'm going to mark it at Hegel, I won't get into why, but prior to Hegelian philosophy entering in our culture, people realized that they needed greater context. And so everybody was kind of like the master of all subjects. If you've heard of uh, Hippocrates, the Hippocratic Oath, never see a doctor who doesn't take the Hippocratic Oath, okay? Because the Hippocratic Oath basically says they're going to do their best to keep you alive. That's the doctor I want to see, okay? But Hippocrates was a philosopher. Pythagorean's theorem. Pythagoras was a, was, a, was a mathematician who helped the Babylonians uh, basically with, math, with a mathematical uh, formula for, uh, for uh, the hypotenuse of a, of a triangle, all that good stuff. If you remember, I barely remember it. I just know the words. But these guys did, it was all intertwined. All truth, all a reality, they studied it all. And in our culture today, not only have we unwound it, we've created these specialties, but it's created this kind of blindness in our culture because they're so focused on their little area. In fact, this is what Dwayne was been introducing that's actually originally was introduced by Francis Schaeffer and then later Nancy Piercy and others, but it's the upper lower story split. In fact, we've unwound it so much that we take all the fact things, the things we think are facts, by the way, that's an illusion too, because even science is not fact. Anyway, but, but you know, uh, philosophically, it's not even fact, because not everything is 100% certain. In fact, the closest we have is geometry. I'm not going to get into that, but right now, we say science is fact. So science is the safe thing. Everybody can talk about it. You can debate it, all those things. But then we put everything that's not like religion and philosophy, things we're not sure about, we put it up in the upper story. We call that your value. And we want you to keep that personal and to yourself. And we act like it doesn't have any influence on the facts. When in reality, all of reality is either true or false. And people's interpretation of the facts in the lower story are totally driven by their values in the upper story. Our worldview influences how we look at, uh, at, at the science. It's that simple. It's really easy. But we pretend like it's all separated, and we can separate out each issue. And in, in Christianity, what we've done, where it's gotten us, is we've all of a sudden 
the things that we give it to the psychologist to fix those psychological issues. And I'm not saying that's bad. Psycho- I have fr- dear friends that are counselors in psychology. I used to do pastoral counseling. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But when you do that isolated from the rest of spiritual truth, the rest of reality, it doesn't actually fix the problem long term. It's an illusion. And I believe that in my core. What we believe in our heart of hearts, what is happening here, directly influences everything. Everything. And when we disconnect from the meta narrative, from the big story, then when we look at the individual stories, we have no idea what's going on. We can't figure it out. Why are people pursuing pornography so much so that now it invades our home in technology? Why? Let me make a bigger link. The unwinding, what we've done is we've separated pornography. It's its own little area, but most experts now are coming out. Even secular experts are coming out and saying, well, you can't really distance technology and pornography without talking about violence. Violence is a huge influencer, and it totally relates to pornography. In fact, one of the famous um, uh, thinkers in the police world is named uh, Dr. Dave Grossman. And he wrote his first book was on killology, and really what he was doing was helping soldiers and, fire, uh, and police officers uh, deal with some of the psychological things that happen to them after they take someone's life, and also helping prepare them for taking someone's life. And even though I think some of his statistics and some of the research he uses is questionable, to be fully honest, I think his overall conclusions are right on. And that is, there is a direct link between teaching our kids. In fact, he wrote a book, said, stop teaching our kids to kill. These first-person uh, shooter games are, are strikingly wrong for kids to get into, and it's creating a real big problem in society today. It's huge. What you're basically doing is you're teaching your kid not to deal with conflict in a healthy way, but they've got to fight it out. It's got to be violence. Someone cuts you off on the road, what do you want to do? You want to slam them into the barrier. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of, and we're seeing it. I remember in the late 90s, when I started working in the law enforcement world, I had never even heard of road rage. I don't remember when it even came a word. But now we hear it all the time. People just, they don't know how to deal with people. They don't have relationships with people, so they become violent. It's all about control. And Dr. Dave Grossman went from teaching soldiers and, fire, uh, and police officers how to deal with it when you take someone's life to now trying to help the world understand you can't teach your kids to kill because it's all intertwined. It is all, it is all reality. All sin is bad. All sin is not good. All sin leads to death. That's what the scripture says. We tend to spiritualize it. Ah, that's, a, you know, that's an upper story thing. In real life, a little violence isn't going to kill me. Real life, little internet porn isn't going to hurt me. And it's just like the little prostitute saying, come, come in here with the smile. Like an ox being led to the slaughter. If we can't take Scripture at its word, at its face value, if the Scripture is not a fact you are hopelessly untethered from truth. That is reality. And so as Christians, my, my thesis is this. We've got to look at all sin, 
all sin, and see how it's all intertwined, how it's all wound together, and that, and that the Lord is the author and the perfecter of our faith, all of it. I, I have people tell me all the time that po- politics is not a religious subject. It should be, politics is a value set. It's not religious. You, you can't talk about politics. I'm like, politics is either true or it's a lie. I'm sorry. I taught government before I taught philosophy. You cannot read about Marxism and see what happened. In fact, right now, uh, me and a, another officer are reading the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, Solzhenitsyn about what Russia did when it embraced communism at its full steam. The first chapter will grip you. It is evil. And you can't tell me politics doesn't matter, and we shouldn't talk about it from the pulpit. I'm sorry. All truth is God's truth. In fact, Nancy Piercy wrote a great book in the early 2000s called Total Truth, and she argues that very thesis. You can't separate all these issues. It's not, oh, he's got an addiction in alcohol, and he's got an addiction here, and she's got an addiction here, and there, it's all sin. It's all sin. The Scripture doesn't break it up. The Scripture deals with it in totality. In fact, here's the crazy part. Netflix has released the Ted Bundy interviews, uh, or this uh, four or five part series on Ted Bundy. And, it, and I watched the first episode, but it reminded me that I watched a Ted Bundy interview with Dr. James Dobson. He was the founder of Focus on the Family that he did in 1989. And I went and I found it, and it's back online now. I think it's probably online because uh, of the interviews, uh, because of the Netflix thing. But it's a fascinating interview. So Ted Bundy, who killed at least 50, most, most people say well over 50 women, he killed them. Um, he directly links, and by the way, before he died, I truly believe he repented and came to Jesus, but in the interview, he actually says, it all started because of pornography. It all, all my desires, it basically linking it to control. I wanted to control it. I wanted more adrenaline, and then it led from softcore porn to hardcore porn, which I'm like another specialization. I won't even get into that. And then, and keep in mind, this is, he did that interview in 1989. Remember, Al Gore didn't invent the internet until like the mid-90s right? No, serious, like, uh, cheap shot, but yeah, I don't care. Anyway, um, so it was before the internet. Before the internet. This is, this is Ted Bundy. In fact, I watched the interview again, and I found a transcript. Listen to the transcript. This is just part of it. This is Ted Bundy talking. We are your sons, and we are your husbands. We grew up in a regular, we, we grew up in regular families, and pornography can reach in and snatch a kid out of any house today. It snatched me out of my, it snatched me out of my home 20, 30 years ago. And as diligent as my parents were, and they were diligent in protecting their children, and as a good Christian, and as a good Christian home as we had, and we had a wonderful Christian home, there's no protection against the kinds of influences that are loose in, this, in society that tolerates. I'm telling you from personal experience, the most graphic violence on screen, particularly as it gets into the home to the children when they'll be unattended or unaware that they may be a Ted Bundy who has that, that vulnerability, that predisposition to be influenced by the kind of behavior, by the kind of movie, by that kind of violence. This is all before video games, first-person shooter games too. Think about this. This is him. There are kids sitting out there switching on the TV. 
dial around and come upon these movies late at night or don't know what they're on, but they're on and they keep watching. It's scary when I think what would have happened to me if I had seen that. Now, this is a guy who killed over 50 women already. And he's saying it would have been worse. Well, I just ran into stuff outside the home, but to know that children are watching that kind of stuff today or can uh, pick up the phone and dial away or send away for it, hmm. That's Ted Bundy. 1989, January 23rd, it was the day before he died, before he was electrocuted. I, I, I don't even need the stats and stuff, and I could do this all day. I'm telling you, violence, pornography, they're all intertwined. There is no difference. A, a child, by the way, one of the studies that was crazy, Grossman points this out in one of his books uh, called Assassination Generation. That's the name of the book. In Assassination Generation, he points out that the stimulus response in a six-year-old boy watching a violent film is the same stimulus response that you see in a 13-year-old when they're viewing pornography. I am telling you, we are being seduced, and our whole culture is being led to the slaughter like oxen. That's the reality. But this is where I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to change direction because I want to tell you right now, don't focus on pornography. Don't focus on violence. Yes, you need to do that. In fact, this week I upgraded my internet big time. I mean, like full bore. Like, I mean, I have got my, I know everything going on now. Like I called experts. I'm like, what do I put in here? And I mean, because you need to deal with it. I got five boys and I don't want Satan coming in my home. Okay? But let me change directions just a little bit. Let me just give you a thought. In Christian circles, we oftentimes think that what we are about is we come to church so we can be good. So I come to church, I learn the message, and my hope is I'll be good, not bad. But here is actually the crux of the gospel. Robbie Zacharias said it. I think he was re-quoting C.S. Lewis in something he said, but here's what Robbie said. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. The Christian gospel is not about making you a good person. It's about bringing you back from the very brink of death. That is what the gospel is about. So when you start thinking about it, the gospel is not focused on our behaviors. It's focused on our belief. It's focused on what is going on in the very heart. The reason Matthew and Luke wrote about the eye being the lamp to the body is not because of the eye. It's because it wants to know what's going on in here. And it took me a while to get this truth. It took me a while to understand this, but this is the rewinding of reality. It's all intertwined. It all works together. And what's happened, and I think this is Satan's strategy, I really do. I truly believe this. What he said is, let's divide and conquer. Let's make them think they've got a pornography issue, so they'll divert all these resources to pornography and forget the gospel. And that's what's happening. Let's divert all these resources over here and deal with alcoholism or finances or whatever. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but don't lose sight of the greater picture, and that is the only thing with the power to bring people back from the dead is the gospel. 
That is what we've got to do. And I'm going to tie this even more. If you want to be free from sin, you've got to get your eyes back on Jesus and the gospel and the movement. I am speaking from personal experience on this. Here is what we do as Christians. We call it the right turn, left turn model, left turn, right turn model. And this year, Jim Peterson introduced it to us several years ago. And I remember when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the answer. I think Tony and I were in the same meeting when he introduced this. I had seen it before, but it really hit me in this meeting in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, and then Jim gave me the honor. He's such an amazing man. This summer, we reworked the model. Him and I built a new model uh, based on uh, some stuff we had learned. And, and let me explain the model, and then I think you're going to get it. But I hope this helps you. It's really helped me. But I began to realize, I went to Bible college for four years. I did some post-grad work. And then I'll never forget this. For two years after, uh, I was done in uh, 99, 99 and 2000, I did not open my Bible one time. I don't think I prayed at all for two years. I can't remember if I did, you know, but I don't think I did. And if I did, obviously it wasn't worth remembering. And what I realized was, was I was taking a left turn. What had happened, I went to Bible college and I saw all these spiritual people around me and we learned the Bible and I'm like, yeah, I know the Bible now. And, and, and then I'm like, okay, what I need to do is discipline myself. I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to read the scripture. And every day I'm going to pray. And I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop all my sin. No more gossip. No more, you know, all these like, I look back now and I'm like, what a joke. <laughs> and what I realized, what I didn't know, I was taking the left turn. And here's the left turn. The left turn focuses on the problem. Pornography, uh, alcoholism, violence, gossip, gluttony, uh, whatever it is. Whatever it is, the left turn focuses on the problem. And here's what your mental thinking is. This is what you do. Oh, Lord, I can't believe I did that. You know what I'm going to do? I am going to discipline myself today, and I will not do that again. I know so many people do this. I work with first responders. This is what they do. And, you know, this is like, I mean, I'm like, you can't do enough push-ups to become alive again. Just think that through for a second, okay? So they, they take that, and they're like, I am not going to watch pornography. I'm not going to look at a magazine. I'm not going to get on the internet, whatever it is. That's what they do. No more, no more. I'm going to just, you know. And then what happens is they begin to fighting the flesh. I think anyone in here who's been a Christian for very long knows what fighting the flesh means. We all know what it means. It's where we have this battle because you're like, wow, that's weird. I have this desire. You know what's interesting? I told my kids, because two of them were starting to play around, I go, here's the problem. The problem is not that you like women. You're designed to like women. Women are designed to like men. That's not the problem. As Kevin Peterson said in his infinite wisdom, donuts are not a bad thing. But here's the problem. It's when you act on it. That's where the sin enters in. But again, I don't want you to focus on that. That's taking it. So you're fighting the flesh, and there's only two outcomes. And this is the what got me. Only two outcomes can come from taking the left turn. This is it. There's no spiritual answer on this side if you go this way. You either have a sense of pride because you beat it. I've had that. Or you have a sense of shame because you didn't. Neither one of them are biblical responses. Pride? Got this, dude. Right here, boom. I'm the man. I'm going to walk around with sleeveless shirt, tattoo, and show you I'm the man. Or a sense of shame. Oh, I just can't talk to anybody right now. I'm going to go over here and hide. That's it. Those are your responses. 
This is the left turn. And the problem with this ultimately is if you're focused on the problem, you've lost sight that God came to make you alive from death, not trying to make you good. Yeah, he wants, there are behaviors he wants, but they call that fruit. Fruit is, the tree doesn't start with the fruit and then grow the tree. The tree grows first and then develops the fruit. The behavior is the fruit. Don't focus on the behavior. Then there's the other option, and that is what we call the right turn. And I don't mean this in a political sense, although I kind of do. But anyway, I don't mean this in a political sense, but it's right as, because it's clockwise and it's going right. Okay. But you have that struggle or that experience, pornography, addiction, whatever it is, and then you look at Scripture and you go, man, I'm not aligned with that. And you don't immediately think to yourself, oh, i got to fix this problem. You immediately go, I need to turn to Jesus and just give Him my attention. And you humbly come recognizing that you are dead in your trespasses. You are not alive. And you get down and you say, Lord, I'm yours. Do whatever you want to do with me. Maybe He wants you to struggle with that the rest of your life. I'm sorry. I have a dear friend named Steve Chadwick. And he prays for suffering and hardship for his kids on a regular basis because he realizes that produces spiritual giants. I remember when he told me that. We used to be office mates, and he told me that. And I'm like, whoa, Steve, that's a little harsh. But after I thought about it over time, I'm like, you know what? My kids grow stronger when they go through adversity. I did. I mean, think about it. How long does an athlete take you know, to get ready for Ironman? Last year, I'm like, I'm doing a couple triathlons. Let's do this. Yeah, right. Dude, that's a lot of work. It takes work. It takes years. How many of you raised your kids in three weeks? Got them totally mature in three weeks. No. Let God just do His work in you, whatever He wants to do. Humble yourself before Him. Then let the Holy Spirit enter you in the humility. I am convinced of this. The Holy Spirit cannot work in a person full of pride. Just convinced of it. I think it's in the Scripture. I think it's all over. It talks about pride quite a bit in the Scripture. So humble yourself. Let the Holy Spirit start taking its work in you and doing what He needs to do all the time. You're just keeping your focus on Him. You're not trying to stop doing this, 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 and this. It's not behavior focus. It's on Him. And then over time, He begins to give you self-control. Let me tell you, and this is a personal testimony. I'm not trying to say it to be prideful. I, I promise. But I've dealt with those things, you know? When I was in junior high, a friend of mine, we got Playboy and uh, another magazine. I won't even give it credit. And because his parent, his dad got it. And we would go to the junior high and rent it out to other junior high. So that's me. Okay? I mean, I didn't know. All right, and I, I, I got caught by my mom or my dad, and boy, the punishment came. Don't worry, I paid for that. Um, but that was me. I was that guy. And then when I became a Christian and started following Jesus and went to Bible college, it's not that those struggles left. I was dealing with those struggles. But I'm telling you, as soon as I got it, I remember I was listening an old, old hymn. I love this hymn, but it's "Turn Your Eyes to Jesus." And the problems of this world will fade away. 
That's the, that's the main lyric of the hymn. The Newsboys redid it uh, sometime in the mid-90s, and I used to listen to it all the time. I was struck by it. And as I began to realize that truth, I began to say, you know what? I'm going to quit doing... I'm not focused on stopping these behaviors. I'm going to focus on Him. And it was crazy. I remember one time I was out, I was praying, I'm like, oh, Lord, I, really, would you help me with this particular issue I've got? And, and, uh, and the Lord's like, don't worry about that. Do you remember this issue that you dealt with for 15 years? And he brought back to mind an issue I dealt with for 15 years, and, also, and it wasn't even an issue anymore. And I don't remember when it went away or anything like that. I just remember I was focused on him, and he began to do a work, and that one went away. He says, trust what I'm doing with you. This is what he means by I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. You see, Christians, what, the, what Satan did is he's like, oh, let's give them pornography, and let's give them this and this, and then all of a sudden the church goes like this, we got to stop pornography, everything, all resources there, and they lost track of the gospel. We got to feed the hungry, lost track of the gospel, see that all over the place, dump, dump, dump every issue you can imagine, and we lost the big story, and that is Jesus is here to save I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. I'm not saying a psychologist or a counselor doesn't help. But in the absence of the gospel, I can tell you I think it's foolish. I can tell you I've met a lot of counselors and psychologists, and some of them are fairly foolish. Not all of them. There's some good ones, and I can tell you who I like, and it's just my, you know, whatever I think. Who cares? The real thing is, boom. That's all I want you to get. That's the right turn. I remember I was speaking at a men's group. And I was speaking on discipleship, actually, and they started asking about pornography. And I said, you got to not focus on that. Yeah, you, don't, you shouldn't be doing that. It's not good. But you should focus on him. And the more you focus on him, the things of this world will fade away. I promise I'm a living example of that. Quit fighting the flesh. Paul struggled. We know that. In Romans, he talks about a struggle. But he doesn't focus on the struggle in the passage. He focuses on the truth of God. He says the things I do, I don't want to do, the do, what, I do what I don't want to do, I do. I mean, he describes everybody here. We all do it. You know what ultimately happens when you do that? When you take the, the left turn, you get beat up, and then you're moping around, you're taking it out on your family, and, you know, I've just learned, I get up, and I'm like, gotcha, Lord. Boom. You know, if someone beat up my kid, I wouldn't care that he got beat up. I'd help him get up and let him know I loved him. And I think that's exactly how our Heavenly Father wanted to work. Jesus did not come to make you stop doing bad things. That's the flesh. That's sin in our lives. That's what leads to death. He came to say, I'm the grace that's going to wipe this out. Now follow me. That's what we got to do. And guess what, folks? Those of you who've been following Jesus and you know you got your struggles, it takes patience in a fast food world. It does. Dude, you, there's no app for it. Porno, pornography, no temptation. Check, click. It doesn't work that way. God wants us to work through this and struggle and do all these things. I'm not perfect. Any one of you has permission to go talk to my wife within reason, and she will let you know. The man that you see up on stage today is not perfect. I know that is shocking for many of you. <laughs> Why are you laughing? How rude. 
Just talk to Tony Westover. That guy will tell you. But don't worry. I can tell you about Tony too. (laughs) Guys, I think the church would be flooded if they knew that we weren't about behavior, about good and bad. We're about life. I really do. This is what we are about. So I want to get really, really practical right now. And I want to get back to the beginning. I didn't even get time in the first service because I was going off on all kinds of rabbit trails. But, but I got time now because I just went over. So I usually give myself another 20 minutes. No, no worries. I'm good with that. I want to talk about intimacy. In fact, I want everybody in here. I said this in first service, but he promised he was going to do something. I'm going to see if he does it. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. I don't know where you're sitting at. Yeah, I'm pointing at you. I want everybody to go to Tony Coleus and tell him you want to talk about intimacy. He loves talking about intimacy. He's intimate. That's your challenge. Find Tony Coleus. If you don't know him, just find him. You'll find him. He's the guy that's standing there like this. That's Tony. Tony's my ministry partner. We've been working together a long time. Love the brother. We, um, we've had a, ex- God has used a couple of us too in amazing, we've got to do some cool things. And, and we're a living example that God uses the least of these, I promise. <laughs> but um, I want to talk about intimacy. And you actually really should talk to Tony about this because he's got quite a story. But um, I want to talk about this. And, and, uh, and I don't, you know, I want to talk about this because oftentimes I'm accused that I get up here and I talk about this and, th- and there are some practical things. But here's what I think is happening in our culture. Because we've been inundated with pornography, and by the way, it affects women just as much as it affects men. Well, I shouldn't say just as much, but it does affect women in greater numbers than I thought. Um, but I think what's happened is a lot of people, they get married and because they've been exposed to the evil of our culture, think about what the evil is, what violence and what pornography is. You know what the real sin is? It's that they don't want relationship. It's broken relationship. And it's a big thing. And actually, our culture now, because of pornography and all that, people are, they want to have relationship. They want to be intimate with someone else. They don't. They say they don't want to die alone. That's what they say. So we know what the world actually wants because they're designed to have relationship. So how do we bring this intimacy back in? So I want to just bring some practical steps because this is a little bit of a heavy subject. It's not a little bit. It's a heavy subject. But I just want to bring some practical things because it helped me. As I was pursuing Jesus, and, 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 I, and I'm not perfect. I still like, oh, I don't like that sin. I got to get rid of it. You know, but as I was pursuing Jesus one day, I remember I was thinking, man, I really need to learn to love my wife better. But then I started thinking, what does that actually mean? You know, because when you read what the actual definition of love is in, in 1 Corinthians 13, like, no one does that very well. And so I was like, okay, how do I love my wife? How do I love my wife? And the Lord says, I want you to get to know her. You know what, you know what the Hebrew is, actually, in the Old Testament for sex? They, they don't have the word sex. The word is to know. To know someone. So when, you know, Chris... Uh, I won't use myself because it's weird. My wife will get it mad. But if, let's say, John knows Sarah, right? Yeah, we know what happened, right? 
okay? But to know, it's like you're getting to know them. That's the Hebrew word for it. So it's really interesting when you read the Scripture um, and you learn that that's the Hebrew. When I took Hebrew and I learned that, I was like, oh, wow, that's weird. But it actually makes total sense. Because what marriage is, is a husband and a wife come together to become one, to know one another intimately. So intimately, they become one to be the representation of the Trinity. I mean, it, it's fascinating. We could go on all day on this. But So what does it mean to be intimate? So there was a list of 12 uh, traits of intimacy developed by uh, Howard and Charlotte uh, Kleinbell. Uh, three of them, I don't really know what they were talking about because they wrote it in the 70s. So I've shortened it to nine. Okay. If you want to know the other three, don't know them, don't care, they're gone, okay? But every, uh, actually, Tony and I and a bunch of us did this with our wives years ago, but we would go, and my wife and I uh, tried to do this, we did it this last summer, we'd go and we ask ourselves, how are we going to get to know each other more intimately in these nine areas? And the nine areas are in order from least important to most important. And I just want to be really practical, because remember, it's not about getting rid of sin, it's about following Jesus. How do you follow Jesus? You become more intimate. Okay? So, notice the least important thing in intimacy is sexuality. Okay? I know a lot of guys in here are bummed out right now. Wouldn't it be cool if that was like the number one thing? Uh, You don't have to raise your hand or anything. That'd be embarrassing, but come on. Like, right? Okay? Because we focus on that. But what's weird is when you start practicing the other things, I promise your marriage, it, it takes, it's awesome. I'm just telling you. Uh, my wife and I, I can say I loved my wife when we got married, but now I really love her. It's awesome. We have a good time. Okay, so sex is number is the furthest away. Emotional intimacy. Process and react our feelings. I know that's a tough word, guys. That's almost like a swear word. Emotional intimacy. Every guy in here say emotional intimacy one time. Emotional intimacy? Seriously, dudes, man up. Shout it like you mean it. The wives are all sitting there with a tape recorder. Okay, emotional tape recorder, that's old, right? Okay, emotional intimacy, okay? That's where we share our feelings, that's important. Okay, intellectual intimacy, this is weird. Okay, I like quantum physics, philosophy, all kinds of weird subject matter. I'm not an expert in any of them, I just read about them all the time. My wife one time told me we were doing this, she goes, I want to learn more about quantum physics. I'm like, are you serious? It was weird, I almost crashed the car we were driving. It's been so cool. So I get to explain. Now, there's a point where she's like, that's enough. <laughs> but it's been really cool. Um, as, aesthetic intimacy, beauty, art, music. Um, so it's like learning to lo- learn what your spouse likes for enjoyment. This is hard because and I think we're okay. Men and women, we just kind of live our separate lives, you know. But I'm telling you, you're going to love each other so much more when you get into each other a little bit, when you get to know each other. So I actually like, started paying attention, you know. So what kind of art does my wife like, or music, or theater? We like different things. But because of my wife, I listen to way more mu- uh, worship music than I ever did. My wife got into a little bit of classical and jazz. I like that. I'm not a big jazz. I like jazz a little bit, classical a lot more. Um, we got into Imagine Dragons together. Okay. All right. <laughs> Creative. This is fun. This is where you make something together. And don't say you don't do this. Everybody does this. How many of you have ever had to like, pick what your flooring is going to be in your house? How did that go? I like dark wood. My wife likes light wood. Our house doesn't please either one of us, right? But this is where you get to know, oh, why do you like that? We actually ask those questions. I don't know why I like dark wood. 
looks more professional and profound. I don't know. I really don't. But it was fun to talk about. Recreational, what do you do for fun? My wife and I, a couple years ago, we have some dear friends that do ballroom dancing. We're like, let's try ballroom dancing. We took a couple lessons. We enjoyed it. We just have five kids. We have six kids, so yeah, you know how that goes. Um, so, but ballroom dancing. If you'd have told me when I was in college I'd take up ballroom dancing, I'd have said, you're nuts. I took ballet once, but that was just to get to know the cute girl in the class, okay? All right. Uh, work in ministry, laboring together to support each other. Some people can't work together. I've heard that a lot, but I'm like, but learn where you can work together and labor together. At least pray for each other. Communication, how we communicate, talking to one another. My wife and I try at least once a week to have our tea time, um, just, just to have a focused time to talk to each other, okay? But the most important thing, and this is something I can't stress enough, is spiritual intimacy, studying the Scripture together. We don't, my wife and I don't read the same Scripture, but we talk about what we're, we're learning. We talk about the things that we can, and, and we're busy. I mean, there's days, we, there's you know, months we might forget to do this stuff, but this is so important. They used to say the couple that stays together prays together, but I actually think it's because of their intimacy they pray together. So I think it's the opposite, but anyway. This is how we become more intimate. I think if you focus on these things, because it's pursuing what Jesus wants, then whenever this happens, and this does happen, you're like, oh, that's a cute girl. Wait a minute. I love my wife, and I want to be with Jesus. So that is totally meaningless over there. And it begins, and the things of this world begin to strangely fade away. And that is the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, help us to see you more than we see the things of this world so that the truth may set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.